0: Hey guys, Luke Mahalik here. Welcome to the DFD or Dairy Farming Discussions podcast. Here, we want to discuss all things dairy farming. This podcast is about getting information out that is going to help your dairy operation succeed. Our goal is to bring you timely information on beneficial topics. We plan to bring in some of the top names from the industry to share on the topics they have studied and more importantly, are passionate about sharing with you, the listeners. I hope everyone enjoys this week's episode, and thanks for listening. Hey guys, Luke Mahalik here. Welcome back to the Dairy Farming Discussions podcast. I'm really excited for the episode we have today. Today we are talking about robot milkers. Um, So if you guys are... Uh, looking at buying robots in the near future, have considered it. This might be of interest to you. And if you are currently using milking robots, I think you'll get a lot out of this episode. So, uh, to introduce our guest today, today we have Chelsea Gordon. I'm going to let her do a little bit of an intro of who she is, but she is one of our robot specialists from Suregain, and uh, she's going to be our guest today. So I'm really excited about this. So, Chelsea, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, please?
1: Yeah. So my name is Chelsea Gordon. Um, I've worked at Suregain for the last, I think, 11 years now. And I'm in the role of the Ontario Dairy Technical Services Manager, so um, I get involved in helping train some of the sales team and then more tech applications. So our company does an awful lot of R&D and then just, um, I guess, helping um, support the sales reps and understanding all those things and how we can basically have research impact the farm level.
0: And so I guess to tie in with your role at SureGain and kind of what we're going to be talking about today, you guys just put in robots. So could you tell us a little bit about uh, your home farm operation, just for a little background there?
1: So there, they had a tie stall facility and it was getting pretty tired. Um, the facility was itself. So they were looking at uh, at upgrading a new barn. Um, and so the decision was coming down to parlors or robots, the robots uh, was the, the chosen, uh, system that they, they ended up going with, with the new barn build. Um, and the reason for that was mostly flexibility.
0: What would you guys say at home there you guys saw were some of the major changes when you put robots in?
1: Well, I think with new barn, that makes a big impact to begin with as well. Cow comfort of course was, was far superior in this new barn than it was the old high stall facility. Um, but so they, so then they saw an increase in milk production, um, as well, I'm going to, to stay embedded. Yeah. Um, and of course, flexibility. So they're able to, to do more. Um, we're not having dinner at eight o'clock at night anymore, I guess would be a yeah. big thing. I'm having more flexibility to do stuff on weekends. So for instance, I now have garden boxes that were built for me this past Beautiful. weekend. Um, and that <laughs> stuff never would have happened before.
0: No, that's great. So, I think that gives us a little bit of a background, too, because, like I said, uh, Chelsea is uh, one of our robot specialists at SureGain, and she's living and breathing it every day as well at home on the home farm. So, uh, she's got lots of real-life application on how to what can happen with a robot farm on a day-to-day, I guess. So, on that note, I guess, too, did anything change on your perspective, being you were already kind of one of the robot specialists at SureGain, having robots at home, did that change anything about how you approached farmers or how you approached uh coming to the farm
1: honestly i would say no um we've so at sure game we kind of had a a robot team that was focusing a little bit more on uh on understanding the software and some of the settings and the robots and, and factors impacting milk production and things like that and so that's probably been around for Several years now, I guess, yeah. where we had kind of people who were focusing on that. Yeah. And the reason for that was kind of if you don't use it, you lose it. Yes. Um, and there wasn't a lot of them when we first kind of started that uh, that team. My role was a little bit different at the time. I was an, an in-house nutritionist um, in the central formulation team um, because I was accessible in the office, I tended to get used quite often for looking at some of the software through team viewer. Right. And I'd say that probably is where I learned the most just from using the knowledge that I got in the different training systems. So uh, like I said, I'm not overly involved in the day-to-day work at the farm, at the home farm here. Um, right. But it did give me some opportunities to talk to some different, uh, talk to the different dealers, um and and get maybe a bit more from the technical side a bit more knowledge I wouldn't say I'm the one doing it I'm certainly not the one doing it right um but I've been able to participate in some of the producer level trainings
0: I guess like just you know going right to the bare bones here someone that might be thinking about robots or you know most of the guys listening or girls listening to this podcast probably have an idea what a milking robot is but do you mind just giving us a quick you know 101 on what robots are and what, uh, what their purpose is, uh, just to really set the stage here, I guess.
1: Yeah, so um, if you think about uh, robotic milking systems, it's basically um, it's a robot that harvests milk that the cow can walk into and she goes into that, that stall, it harvests milk and it has the ability to feed her at the same time. So there's an awful lot of data collection during that period of time. With robotic milking, it's not just about the milking process itself, it's all the cow behavior that goes into having her decide to go there, um, depending on the different traffic system, of course, as well as just the information that it's collecting, and it changes, I'd say, some of the management practices that can happen because of the information that's coming out of that.
0: Yeah, and so I guess we talked a little bit about your personal experience. What would you say are some of the common trends for, or some of the common reasons, I should say, for farmers or producers going to robots like being out there you're again one of the specialists there you're on a lot of robot farms throughout the week uh what what are some of the common trends that farmers go to robots
1: um i'd probably say the biggest one is flexibility and lifestyle okay as well as potential labor too so if you think of building a new barn um the robot dealerships i've talked to tell me that putting in a robot system versus a new parlor system in a new build um, if you consider the space and the holding area in a parlor system and if you got similar bells and whistles to the information that the the robots will give you, um, it's kind of a wash as far as building expenses for up to two robots. But and the big thing from that standpoint then would be coming down to flexibility of labor as well.
0: Right. Okay. So
1: we have less people, I think, working or wanting to work on these farms, um, less people in general who are – who are familiar with, with dairy farms in general. So I guess less less people that are available to help out on these farms. So if you need relief milking, maybe not be as as easy. And with robots, it just allows flexibility, not only of lifestyle of when you are being in the barn, but also of, the, of the labor and who you're having involved in the barn.
0: It's a great opportunity to get those garden boxes built then, is what you're saying. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's good. I guess to tie in with that a little bit as well is what are some of the different ways robots work?
1: Yeah, so um, looking at different types of traffic systems um, is kind of how the the cows flow and go into the robot. So a free flow traffic system um, would be the cows kind of have an ultimate choice of whether she wants to go eat, drink, get milked, go to her stall and lay down, and everything is completely open. There may be some sort gates that position her towards different different bedding areas, but for the most part, it's it's pretty wide open. Then you get into guided systems, um, which visually you're able to see kind of right away because there's a lot more um, gates and things like that around the robot. And there'd be different ones that they either go to the robot and get milked first before then being directed towards the feed bunk. And then once they leave the feed bunk, they go to the stalls, and there's, there's usually gates that allow them to not travel kind of everywhere
0: right
1: or a feed first which would have them go to the feed bunk before they'd go through the through the robot robot. and then there's also things uh called semi-guided which is basically open traffic for feed stalls and water but going towards the robot there'd be like a pre-selection gate that would allow them into the holding area and they're not able to leave the holding area until they get milked or if they have permissions Right. So those would be the main traffic systems. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of different feeding strategies as well, um, as far as your question about how they work. So yeah. you'd have some producers who just want to feed baleage at the bunk, and they're using the robot, the milking station, to feed a lot of the pellets, potentially having a, a pellet or a feed station as well.
0: I don't want to get specific on companies or anything like that, but just that there's some trends I guess to feed a lot more pellet in the robot versus the trend to feed a lot less in the robot and feed more in the TMR. Do you want to talk maybe a little bit about some of the advantages disadvantages to some of those different systems?
1: Sure so I'd say first of all it, it, it could come down to feeding strategy but it could come down to just the farm management in general. So for instance if we're just putting Balage at the bunk the, the only way that they're getting grain is either through the robot or a feed station. And of course, that's going to change the strategy of how you're using um, that pellet through the robot. Sometimes it just comes down to feeding strategy in general, if we're talking about a TMR type um, feed at the feed bunk. So there'd be kind of different things. Uh, I refer to them as as lead feeding and precision feeding. Okay. So lead feeding would would kind of be where you're offering probably more than you think they're actually going to get. And in theory, The high-production cow would go and have the ability to be milked more often than a low-production cow, so she would therefore get more pellet. That's that's one strategy. The other one would be more precision feeding, so you'd feed your high-production cows, you'd offer them more than your low-production cows, and that's just how we'd set up the settings in the robot. For for lead feeding, um, and that's the one where we're offering probably more than we expect them to eat, the benefit might be that they have a good meal size and i'm I'm not sure if that um is a huge issue or not um meal size but they would they would have a decent meal when they went in yeah maybe would help with training potentially if it uh if they enjoyed if that meal size was important to them there'd be some i guess watch outs with doing that is uh just because cows just because we've offered them the pellet doesn't mean they're actually going to get it right. so high production cows that don't go very often may not be getting what you're expecting them to sometimes that makes troubleshooting a little bit more difficult later lactation cows could get over if they're getting too much grain or too much pellet through the robot depending on the composition of of what's coming out of the robot and the robot feed there could be risk of acidosis if it's too high in grain right. especially when we have high amounts offered to them and uh, oftentimes producers are switching to different pellets and they're definitely not uh, formulated the same way so right. there could potentially be risks there and it could be expensive right feeding feeding a lot of pellets typically the the pellet is not a cheap thing definitely not for one that's a good quality so it, it could be expensive when we think of precision feeding so kind of offering um, the pellet to the cows that you want to get it They're maybe more uh, precisely fed as far as meeting their lactation curve, their feed curve as well. So it could be a bit more financially efficient. You're basically spending the money on the cows that you expect to pay you back. Yes. Troubleshooting, I find, is easier because if we see cows that have lots of feed left over that they didn't get, we know we need to hone in on them to find out why. We typically don't see... As much cleanup cows, so those are the cows that I refer to that would be circling the robot trying to get the leftover from okay. the cow before. Yep, yeah.
0: yep. Yeah. Because you're yeah. generally feeding a little less pellet there. They don't. There's not all the leftovers there for them to come in and get an extra snack then.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Sometimes the timing of, of the recalculation could be something I mean you consider with precision feeding if we're if we're trying to feed just to meet the production goals and um, the recalculation isn't happening. To, for how much the pellet will be offered, there could be some some negative impact there. Usually, you're not feeding high amounts of pellet when you're precision feeding. So you want to make sure that the, the nutrient density of the product that you're feeding them through the robot is, is higher nutrient density than, than the TMR that you have at the bunk.
0: Generally speaking, when you come to a farm, maybe you've never even been there before, uh, maybe know a little bit of background from the sales rep or the, the nutritionist on farm, what do you kind of hone in on generally right when you get to the farm or is it different for every farm? And that's okay too.
1: I'd say it's different for every farm, different farms, different management, different strategies. It's it's really not a one size fits all. So it's nice to know what their goals are, a little bit about their grouping strategies and the robots. If they have multiple robots, if they have different cows on different ones, how they fetch cows, training. So it, it, I'd say it really depends on the yeah. farm.
0: Uh, as a nutritionist and salesman myself, being out on the road, you know we joke all the time about we're the first ones to get the finger pointed at us, and it must be the ration, it must be the diet that's the problem. Um, do you want to just talk? I, I mean, I guess this probably goes across the board, but if there's anything specific more to robots, what what other factors could be going on there than uh, just the PMR or just the the feed tables themselves within the robot? Yeah,
1: that's a great question, Luke. Um, and honestly, the answer to that is kind of one of the things why I. I think I like and have gravitated towards um, really liking troubleshooting some robot herds, is that it's not just nutrition, it's it's a lot of the management, as well as all these things that affect cow behavior in in general. So um, typically in a conventional farm, either a parlor or a tie stall, the behavior doesn't matter as much throughout the day as far as how it relates to milking. Um, because you're you're bringing the milking equipment to them or you're bringing the cows to the milking equipment. In a lot of these robot barns, because I'd say probably, I guess, 70% of them are free flow traffic, yeah. in, in Ontario at least, the behavior really matters. The cow has to choose to go to the robot. Some of it could come down to available time. So the number of animals on each each robot makes a huge difference. But as well as just... Behavior around the robot, in the robot, training, and all those different things, too. So for around the robot, you could have a boss cow sticking her head in trying to eat that leftover feed or just kind of blocking the general area of what's going on around the robot. Positive or negative experiences in the robot from before. And -hmm. negative could be as simple as as a noise, like a hose behind the robot or something, or a smell that's in the robot room. Um, Or it could just be a, a past experience. So she hit her hip last time as she was getting into the robot or something like that. Uh, Sometimes it could be even as easy as once again, related to the the diet, I guess, but maybe not necessarily dietary, which would be a big thing of of fines coming through. We know cows don't like fines. Yeah. Those are definitely things that I think uh, would impact cows decision to go to the robot. But then, like I said, even just training.
0: um, Okay
1: pressure in the udder so days and milk how how easy it is for them to get around in the barn so whether that's animals blocking around the robot or even just lameness right
0: yes um, okay how much impact do robot pellets really have on on traffic to the robot like what what are your thoughts there i guess
1: i think it's huge um and this is I don't know that we, that we know for sure, but in my opinion, it's, it's huge. And I don't think it's necessarily the nutrition, um, but it's more than that. So I think for the most part, the milk is made at the bunk, the feed bunk, right. and not as much from the pellet itself. But in non, I guess, dietary factors around the pellet, the fines, quality of the ingredients, If they're actually supporting the high production cow if you're feeding if you are deciding to feed more um, to the high production cows some people would argue meal size I personally don't think that that's a huge driver um, but I do think it's big and and this is maybe silly but uh, I always relate some of these things back to to working with dogs you you know I'm a dog lover but I think it's something that people can really relate to so if we think for if you want your dog to do something would you get the same response training him with dog kibble as you would with steak? Right. <laughs> Probably not, right? Oh, no, that's a good um, analogy,
0: yeah. So I guess on the topic of pellets as well, like, so one of the other things I've seen out there, again, being with farms that I deal with personally, there seems to be a huge range in pellets. And I know you've touched on this a little bit throughout the talk here, but why is there such a range maybe from some of them going to just very low amounts to some going almost extremely high amounts of pellet in the, in the robot
1: Yes, so feeding yes. strategy could be one, and the lead feed versus precision feed, and and even just some using a combination of the two. Forage quality could be another, okay, um, or forage availability, and that doesn't necessarily change from the pellet amount, but it could change the nutritional properties of it. Yes. Feed bunk management and what we have available at the feed bunk. Like with the example we talked about before would be just baleage at the bunk, for instance, or even just feed bunk management. So if you're limited on the size that you have available for where cows can actually go and eat at the feed bunk or the amount that you can put there or something like that, you may end up having to feed more pellet um, just to get get all that intake into the cows and give them more opportunity to consume it. But I think some other things are, are have to do with what producers' goals are, what's their traffic system, um, different things like that as well, so so if you think traffic system, some of the controlled systems, there may be less requirement be, less behavioral component to it because they don't necessarily have the ability to choose the gating systems are making that that choice for them. so right. I think that kind of plays a role as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely no, that's good and and I think a hot topic that's been coming up here lately is the whole idea of why is there such a price range in robot pellets?
1: Yeah, um, great question. So there's a couple things. So it could be the form of the pellet so or, or so of, the, of the robot feed, whether it's a mash feed or a pellet feed. Okay. Um, typically, there's there's more strict guidelines on what we can put into a pellet and still be a good pellet versus what we can do in a mash. So I guess the form, but also the ingredients that are in that would make a difference. Right. Um, there has been some studies looking at, uh, at mash feeds and as well as quality of the pellets. Okay. Actually, Jack Rodenberg had, did quite a few um, surveys and studies on that kind of earlier on, and, okay. and research would indicate that there is a benefit to feeding a pellet over a mash feed, but also ingredients. So, not, and not just ingredients, but the quality of the ingredients that we're choosing. So, okay. um, same as the example that I gave with feeding a dog kibble versus steak, we would have preferences as well for what we we find satisfying or not as far as different feed choices that we make, and and cows are no different. So there has been several studies looking at preference, getting some feedback on feeding a straight one-source ingredient as compared to combinations of ingredients. And typically something is even as palatable as what we think alfalfa would be. There's been studies that have shown just feeding straight alfalfa pellet isn't as appetizing as feeding it in a pellet with a combination of other ingredients. So That's kind of interesting. Okay. But the ingredients not only would maybe affect the taste, but also milk production, rumen health, and therefore milk components as well. And then, I guess the, just the nutrition density of the of Great. the product. So we kind of, you know, yourself, Luke. We balance to the fourth decimal place, yes, um, making sure that we're we're meeting all the animals' uh, carbohydrate needs, focusing on soluble carbohydrates, digestible carbohydrates making sure that we have enough cud chew fiber and then the same thing when we look at proteins we're making sure that we're using rumen available proteins escape proteins we balance for tons of different amino acids and so of course the quality of those ingredients that we're using in the pellet is going to play a role in the in the whole diet um as well and typically you get what you pay for um Absolutely. i would say in my experience yeah, yeah. The more expensive pellets typically have higher quality, higher price ingredients. And, and so that would that would make, make a big difference. Just what's happening right now, I think, with the commodity markets would probably play a big role for what's happening in maybe some price differences in the pellets as well. So if we're always forcing in a certain key ingredient that uh, we think that the cows like and it's it's coming from a distance, there could be increased prices on some of those things as well.
0: So, one of the things I was just going to ask, like, to just to touch on, like, is feeding mineral through the pellet and the impact that might have on price, but that impact that might also have on the overall ration. and some of those things. Do you want to touch on that maybe briefly?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, there's pros and cons to it, I would say. Um, mineral tends not to be palatable, but when we think of what the cows need, minerals have a huge impact on the cow's health and immunity. So, typically... When we feed more pellet, there's kind of a replacement of what happens at the bunk. And I think research is still looking at exactly what factors affect the replacement rate. But in general, I think it's probably safe to assume that the more pellet they consume, the less feed at the bunk they're consuming. And so if unless we're able to actually balance for that with mineral content at the bunk, the high-production cows typically are the ones that we're feeding more of this pellet to. Right. And Likely at more risk for some health challenges or immune pressure because they are high production and we're likely shorting the minerals. Right. So that would absolutely be something. They are there is a cost associated with it for sure. So uh, making sure that we have good quality minerals would definitely change the cost of the pellet as well. Great question, Luke.
0: That's actually a great point because
1: i never even thought about that
0: myself really. But yeah, the highest producing cows will be likely eating the most pellet. And if they're being shortchanged at the bunk, where are they making up that extra uh, nutrient? So making sure we provide that through the robot uh, is a great way to make sure that if they're eating more pellet and less at the bunk, they're still getting their mineral nutritional vitamin needs met, which is, that makes total sense actually. So that's a great answer. I just wondered if you had any testimonies, I guess, of... You know, maybe something strange that's ever happened on a robot farm, Um, some factors that might be affecting traffic to the robot. So any positive things that you've seen in the past where making a little change has had a huge impact on production or things like that?
1: Well, I guess I'll answer your second question first In about um, an experience, a positive experience. And it's kind of a plug, I guess, following on the same lines of pellets. I was working with a producer who typically through the summer months, they definitely have some heat stress in there. And you can see year over year, the trend is that the cow's milk production drops quite a bit. Well, when the milk production dropped, feed costs are hardly ever dropping. So it was probably looking to to save a little bit of cost. And he switched the robot pellets. And I think when we do things like that, we're looking at some of these robot pellets as as just a commodity and that they're all the same. And we certainly know that that's not the case. They definitely aren't the same. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But uh, anyways, he dropped even further, probably six liters, and his visits dropped dramatically. I couldn't believe it. So he, he called me and asked what I thought. And I, I gotta be honest, I didn't think there was a way that the pellet could have been that much of an impact. And I thought mm-hmm. there must have just been a really, really hot day. The cows aren't visiting, they're not getting as much milk because they're not visiting, something like that it must be going on or there's something wrong with the robot. And so we we looked through troubleshooting some stuff on the robot. There didn't seem to be any trends that we noticed and and changes over time other than them just not visiting you watch the cows in the robot and they looked like they were going in fine things like that so um he kind of asked me do you think that the pellet could have been all of this and i said well honestly no but there's only one way to find out so we went to a a different pellet again okay and and i actually was aware of the formulation so that uh, allowed me to to kind of compare that to the the pellet that he was on previously with us okay And I I wouldn't have thought that it would have been a huge difference. Milk came up a bit, visits came up a bit, but it still wasn't the same. Okay. So the next load, he switched back to the original pellet he was on.
0: Yeah.
1: And over the weekend, his visits were back up and his milk was climbing. I couldn't believe it. But it just really goes to show the impact of the pellet um, on performance and visits. Some other, I guess, just weird things that have happened, maybe just things related to the robot. So I've seen... uh, all of a sudden, this this one producer we were working with, he was concerned about visits to the robot, but something had changed. So it wasn't just that some cows weren't going, it was that they were leaking in the stalls, and that was new for this producer. Okay. And it had come down to watching the cows go in. They didn't seem like they were as confident going into the robot as they typically had been in the past. Yeah. And they were, a lot of them, just standing around the front of the robot, leaking milk there. So they obviously knew they were supposed to go to the robot, to relieve pressure in the udder and get their reward through um, the pellet, but they were just standing there leaking. And in that scenario, there was a magnet on the door. The door wasn't connecting properly, and just that that magnet noise, I guess, was enough that that they didn't want to go in. So it's all these little things that can add up to be a huge impact on what we see as far as cow's behavior.
0: Yeah, and it, it yeah, for sure. You hear some strange things out there, and there's there's lots of different reasons for sure. So no, that's good. And I think just to speak to the second point there and kind of what you were saying as well, like there was a herd we just started working with myself and another rep uh just in the last few months here, I guess really. Always struggling to kind of get above that, you know, 32, 33 liter average. The cows were going decently to the robot, but having some issues. Um and again, not to just have a big bold advertisement for our pellet, but we put our pellet in, made a few little adjustments. And uh, and in fact, I think you were actually involved in helping set the feed tables for that farm as well. But uh, they, they consistently gone up about four to five liters and have consistently stayed there with a decent fat. And really nothing else had changed on the farm. We were in a time of year where there wasn't any huge temperature changes or anything like that either. So, again, just a testimony to the fact that I think going back to what our initial conversation was that not all pellets are created equal. Sometimes the nutrition can be a little bit different as well, but I think there's a huge impact on what goes in through that robot and the impact that's going to have on your herd. So I don't know if you have any of the numbers handy. I know there's been some numbers tossed around kind of in that uh, $100 more per ton of robot pellet. All it takes is roughly a half a liter loss in milk kind of pays for that extra difference. Do you have anything in that range of what the numbers would be?
1: Yeah, I think it depends. So if we're looking at even just uh, changing the formula and and maybe it's not as high in nutritional density, even if your visits don't change, um, milk production could or body condition could. So long-term production could change. And, and like you said, with it, with, with changing even the number um, of visits, if we know that the, the formula has changed, we are likely going to see a difference in, in the visit behavior, which could have huge impacts on how they go. So, I guess that's the other thing right now. I mean, uh, we're in a situation that farmers are are not able to fill credits. We're pulling back on quota. And I think yeah. oftentimes people are trying to save money. For sure. um, but there's sometimes some long-term impact of, of those decisions, I would say.
0: No, I, I think that's good. And I think you, you kind of summed it up with a really simple phrase there a few minutes ago when you just said you kind of get what you pay for. And um, I, I think that actually just kind of sums up perfectly what we're talking about. Could you just give us any final thoughts you have or any tips or things you want to leave with uh, robot producers as we wrap up here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I could talk about uh, stuff around robots all day, I think, Luke, so probably a good time just to wrap it up. I would say that if you're, if you're thinking of going towards robots, first of all, talk to other farmers. They are the experts in this. Be- beyond probably even the, the dealers, they're going to have some ideas and strategies, but consider how that's going to impact the animals. And what they're seeing. So if you're thinking of barn design, picture your cows walking through it and what they're actually seeing as they're going through it and decisions that they're going to have to make, especially with free flow. And if you currently have robots and and maybe you're struggling or you're not happy with with what's happening, I guess consider what your goals are and and be honest with yourself about what those are and and what you're willing to, to do to get them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I would just uh, tag on that there that uh, Chelsea is available basically across the province of Ontario and, and sometimes even going further than that into the US and <laughs> West as well. Well, thank you very much, Chelsea. And again, anyone that's interested, please feel free to reach out to your SureGain rep. Uh, We'd be more than happy to come out and just uh, have a chat, just see how things are going with your farm, especially it'll be a little easier to have that chat when COVID's over, but uh, we'd love to chat and just connect if there's any questions. So thanks so much, Chelsea. Appreciate your time and your your input here. And I think with that, we will wrap it up for today. Hey, guys, I really do want to say a huge thanks for tuning in this week. It really does mean a lot to have the support from you guys out there listening. I did want to give you guys a few updates about the podcast. One of the biggest ones is that most of the information we are going to be posting about the podcast is going to be coming via Twitter. I am currently using my personal Twitter handle, which is at Luke, L-U-K-E underscore Mahalik, M-I-C-H-A-L-E-K. This is where you're going to find new episodes and new episode alerts to let you guys know when new content is coming out. I really look forward to sharing with you guys again soon. I hope you guys are staying safe during the COVID-19 outbreak. Thanks again and have a great week, everyone.